mentioned earlier, the text for our sermon comes from Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. We won't read that again, but I'd invite and encourage you all to have your Bibles opened as we go through the sermon, because we'll repeatedly refer to these verses. Congregation loved by our Savior Jesus Christ, I wonder, do you know the, the terrible feeling of a feeling like you're unable to pray, feeling like you're unable to go before God? You've fallen into sin, the guilt, the shame. You don't know what to do with it. Part of you wants to go to God, but part of you, you feels like you can't. How can I approach God now? How can I come before the Holy One when I am so unholy? It's a common experience, congregation. In our text, Simon Peter, he experiences a similar feeling of unworthiness. He is afraid before Jesus. Overcome with God's glory, Simon becomes acutely aware of his own sinfulness. And he asks Jesus to depart from him. The congregation, our text has a beautiful message of God's grace because Jesus does not leave Simon. No, Jesus has mercy on Simon, even commissioning Simon to serve, to go out into, as a servant in his kingdom. What a message of comfort and assurance our text holds for us, brothers and sisters. Believers who, who sometimes doubt, who sometimes question whether we can be forgiven. Believers who sometimes fear God's holiness because, because we know that we are sinners. If you know yourself to be a sinner, then take courage. Jesus is for you. Jesus hasn't come for those who, who, have, who seem to have their lives put together. No, the Son of Man, he came to seek and to save the lost. He has come to call sinners to repentance. In our text, we will see Jesus' mercy to sinners like Simon, sinners like us. We will see in our text how Christ transforms a, a fearful fisherman into an obedient fisher of men. That is the, the theme for our text this morning. And we'll see three different things. First, we'll see Christ's glory. Secondly, we'll see Peter's fear. And finally, we will see the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ transforms a fearful fisherman into an obedient fisher of men. First, we will see Christ's glory. Our text, it begins on one occasion while the crowd is, is pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God. Now, Jesus is standing by the shore of Lake Gennesaret. That is another name for the Sea of Galilee. Behind Jesus is the lake. In, in front of him is the crowd. And, and just behind the crowd rise the, the steep slopes of the hills of Galilee. These hills, they rise almost 1,300 feet above the Sea of Galilee. And these large hills, they, they create a, an amphitheater effect. 
So Jesus, he uses the terrain for his advantage. He, he, he gets into Simon Peter's boat and he moves onto the water so that his voice is able to project so all the crowd can hear him. Jesus borrows Simon's boat. Now Simon has almost done work for the day, or, or better said, he's almost done work for the night. Ancient sources, they tell us that fishermen, they always fished at night. Perhaps it was the sun, Perhaps it was the heat, whatever is the reason. Experienced fishermen knew that they always caught more fish at night. Now at dawn, Simon and his partners, they would return to shore and, and clean their nets. Now these were, these were massive, heavy nets. All night long, the, Simon and, and his partners, they, they would drag these, these heavy nets throughout the water. Some people say that these nets, they probably weighed over a thousand pounds. And then as they'd been dragging them through the waters, eventually they, they would pull them into the boat hand over hand, these heavy nets, and they would check to see if they had caught any fish. This was heavy physical labor. Now, after cleaning and drying their nets, normally the fishermen would sell their catch of fish at the market that, that next day. But, but not today. Because there are no fish to sell today. So when it says in verse 4 that Jesus tells Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. When Jesus says this to Simon, we don't have to think too hard about what was going through Simon Peter's mind. In fact, he tells us in verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Basically, Simon is saying in verse 5, look, Jesus, if you want to use my boat to be a floating pulpit, then, then be my guest. But do you know what you're asking? We, I'm a professional fisherman. Are, are you telling me how to catch fish? We didn't catch anything all night. The, the best time for catching fish, and, and you want us to try during the day, Jesus? We're frustrated. We're exhausted, Jesus. I, I just want to go home and rest. And you really want me to drag out that heavy net all over again? And then we're going to have to clean it all over again. Jesus, what you're saying, it makes no sense. You can see the, the battle between doubt and between faith raging in Simon Peter's mind. On the one hand, Jesus' words, they make no sense. On the other hand, Simon has seen Jesus do incredible things. He has even healed his own mother-in-law. And in the end, Simon's faith, it wins out. At your words, I, or Master, at your word, I will let down the nets. So with some skepticism, Simon, he lets down the nets. And to his amazement, the, the net, it quickly begins to move. And not just not just twitch from, from the occasional fish, but the net, it, it writhes, it, it convulses with fish. There's so many that these nets, they begin to break. So Peter and his helpers, they're unable to pull this net on board. That's how heavy it is. They signal for the other boat to come help. Fish after fish, they throw into the hold of the ships. Never before have these fishermen witnessed anything like this. It's beyond their, their wildest imagination and dreams. Finally, both boats are so full that they are on the verge of sinking. Congregation, behold 
the glory of your Savior. Just as God commanded the animals to enter into Noah's ark, a miraculous and humanly impossible event, so Christ sovereignly commands these fish to enter into Simon Peter's net. How great is our Savior's power in comparison to human strength. All through the night, Simon and his co-workers, they, they sweat and they toil through the prime fishing hours. And they have nothing to show. Jesus' command, it, it's so simple. Let down your net for a catch. It's, it's such a simple command. But the power and might of Jesus they accomplish far, far more in a single instant than Peter and his companions could dream, could ever dream of doing in a full night. Beloved, your Savior holds power over all creation, including the fish of the sea. Stand in awe at his might. And in this moment, Jesus, he continues to undo the curse of sin. In Devon, we've been going through the gospel of Luke and we've seen that Luke says that Jesus is the new Adam. He's the new Adam. In his baptism in chapter three, God calls Jesus his beloved son. And then immediately afterwards, a genealogy follows. Jesus' genealogy, it places him in the line of Adam. And Adam is also called God's son. And then after Jesus' genealogy, we read about how Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted by the, by the devil. We hear how Jesus triumphed over the temptations of Satan, where Adam originally failed. In everything Jesus does, from his holy conception, his perfect innocence, even as a child, right up to the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy. And all this tells us is that, that Jesus is the new Adam. He has come to do what Adam failed to do. He has come to restore God's blessing to us. But congregation, what was the very first command that God gave to Adam? Genesis 1 verse 26. In Genesis 1, verse 26, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And here it is. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. With this miracle, this miraculous sovereign power directing these fish into Simon's net, Jesus faithfully executes Adam's original task. He has dominion over the fish of the sea just as we were originally intended to do. Once again, we see Jesus living the perfect, the obedient life, faithful to the mandate that God gave to, to mankind. Once again, we see Jesus being faithful. He faithfully lives as God's representative, ruling over creation on God's behalf. And this congregation, this is the gospel. Because Jesus is our faithful, our perfect representative before God. By faith in Christ, God also sees us as righteous. 
By faith in Christ, God sees us as faithfully ruling over creation as he intended. And this means that God will once again pour out his blessing upon us. That blessing that was lost in paradise. Now there's another lesson that we can learn from these verses. And that is this. We learn that that nothing happens by chance. Nothing comes to us by chance, not even adversity. You see, Simon and his co-workers, they must have been more than a little bit frustrated that morning. A full night of work and nothing to show for it. Why, God? What is the reason for this hardship? But this hardship is part of the wise plan of God. It is an occasion for God to display his glory. You see, it is through human weakness. Simon, he understood very clearly that morning that he was limited, that he was, that he was weak. He had caught nothing despite his best efforts. Congregation, it is through human weakness that God displays his glorious, his, his almighty power. Think back to the Old Testament. God allowed Israel to suffer under the hand of Pharaoh. Why? So that he would have an occasion to display his might. So that Pharaoh would know that the Lord was God. Think also to the New Testament, to Paul. What does Paul call himself? A jar of clay. Weak. Fragile. But holding treasure. Paul's weakness, it shows that the surpassing power of the gospel, it belongs not to him but to God. You see, Paul writes in in his letter to the Corinthians, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul and his companions, their their tents, their their physical bodies are are breaking down. Literally, they are, are decaying. But Paul recognizes that the more he suffers, the more that he is weak, that he is inadequate, the more clearly the power, the majesty, the glory of God are on display. And that is why Paul declares, I will boast. I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the glory of God might be displayed in me. You see, Simon's fruitless night of fishing, it seems like a rather minor setback in comparison. But God uses occasions of human weakness and suffering to display his power, his glory. So congregation, let us also learn to see hardships. Let's learn to see adversities in this light. They They are opportunities. Every hardship we face is an opportunity for God's glory to be displayed. His glory might be revealed to us as he, as he in, in a miraculous way, frees us from the, the adversity that we are experiencing. That is one way that God's glory might be revealed. Or else his glory may be revealed to others, you know, even to us, through us. You see, others, they witness God's glory as they they witness the power of God, as they see 
our godly response to suffering. They see God, they see our response to suffering and they say, how is that even possible? And they see the power of God that he is working in us so that we are able to respond positively to these hardships that we face. Congregation, also in hardships, let us learn to seek and to see the glory of our God. We come now to our second point, Simon's fear. Return with me now to to Simon's boat. Simon and his partners, they they are hauling in the catch of a lifetime. Fish after fish they drag in until until finally the boats are on the verge of sinking. And suddenly, suddenly, Simon is overcome with fear. And it's not because his boat is about to sink. No, Simon, he realizes what has just happened. Jesus has divinely orchestrated this miraculous catch. Simon recognizes in Jesus the glorious majesty of God. The water is is dangerously close to the top of his boat, but Simon, he completely forgets about the danger. No, he falls down before Jesus. He is in the presence of the Holy One of God. And Simon's response is a common one throughout Scripture. When Moses realizes that God is in the burning bush, he hides his face because he is afraid to look at God. When Isaiah comes into the throne room of God, he cries out in fear, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Jesus appears to John in Revelation 1, John falls at Jesus' feet, he says. He fell at Jesus' feet as though he were dead. Congregation, what is your attitude as you approach the holy majesty of God? See, in a certain sense, we are always in God's presence because he is present everywhere. But when we come before God as a congregation to worship, in a special manner, God is present in our midst. No, there's no thunder or lightning like when God gave the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. We don't miraculously witness God's power in the the same way that so many throughout the Bible have. But congregation, Scripture says that where two or three are gathered in God's name, there he is present with us. And the author of Hebrews, he tells us what an awesome experience it is to worship together as God's people. He says, you have not come to what may be touched, to Mount Sinai. You have not come to a blazing fire and darkness and gloom. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. We don't, we don't experience that congregation. But listen to what Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Therefore, let us offer to God acceptable worship. How? With reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. 
our God is a consuming fire. Let us worship him with reverence and with awe. Congregation, this is something I've, I've been asking myself for the last little while. How, how would my Sunday routine change if, if I was meeting God at Mount Sinai? Like Israel. Congregation, how would, your, how would your Sunday routine change if you were meeting God at Mount Sinai? Might we prepare differently to approach God? The congregation, has our God changed? No. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let us worship him with reverence and awe. Congregation, so much of our culture is casual, informal, laid back. The opposite of reverence and awe. But may it not be so with God's holy people. The same majestic glory that makes Peter tremble and fall down before Jesus. This is the same glory that we are approaching as we as God's people come into his presence to worship before him. Let us worship with reverence and awe. Now in response to seeing the glory of God in in Jesus Christ... Peter, he he cries out before Jesus in verse 8. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, becoming aware of God's presence and God's glory, it is an incredibly clarifying experience. God's glory, it, it shows us who we really are. In contrast to to Jesus' holy glory and the power shining forth in this miraculous catch of fish. Peter, he, he recognizes who he is. He is a sinner. And appropriately, he humbles himself before Jesus. Like Peter, do you, do you recognize who you are in the presence of God? Or have you, been, have you been hiding from God's glory? Before God's glory, all sin comes to light. Congregation, this means that if we do not consider our sinfulness that often, it, it, if we don't consider our sinfulness that often, it, it says something about how much time we are spending in the presence of God. You see, when we hold ourselves to the world's standard of righteousness, it is easy to to come out looking fairly good. And even, I hesitate to say this, but even churches can develop standards of righteousness where where some sins are minimized and and considered to be of less importance. But congregation, before the glorious majesty of God, all sin comes to light. Hebrews also says that before God, we all stand before him naked and exposed before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let us learn, congregation, to come into the glorious presence of God to evaluate ourselves before his holiness, before his glory. Yes, it is a fearful an awesome experience. Congregation, approaching God is not something to be done casually. 
There is a reason Simon forgets that his boat is sinking and simply falls before Jesus in fear. Congregation, approaching God, approaching him in his glory and majesty is also the most incredible and fulfilling experience. You were made to approach God. You were made for fellowship with him. And in God's presence, you will find rest for your soul. Because as our sins come to light before God, we will also experience God's merciful, his, his, his compassionate forgiveness. So rather, rather than running from God, rather than, than fleeing from his glory, come to him. Let your sins come to light before his glory and you will experience his merciful forgiveness. Jesus said himself, I have not come to call the righteous, I've come to call sinners to repentance. This brings us to our final point, Christ's grace. Peter's fearful words in in verse 8, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Congregation, these are are such a close echo of the thoughts of so many Christians throughout the ages. I know they've been the thoughts of myself. How can I come to God in prayer after I have sinned again? How can God possibly show me mercy after what I have done? But Jesus' reply in verse 10, it is beautiful, good news to tormented souls. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Do not be afraid. Are those not the most wonderful words Jesus can speak to someone who is overwhelmed by his sins, who is overwhelmed by the glory of God? These are words of forgiveness, words of assurance, words of grace. In effect, Jesus is saying to Simon, yes, Simon, you are a sinner. No, you cannot stand in my holy presence. But Simon, I have come for people like you. I have come to offer salvation and forgiveness to everyone who recognizes their sins, to everyone who confesses their sins before me. Simon, you do not need to fear my judgment. You do not need to fear my wrath. In fact, Jesus even assigns Simon a place to work with him in his kingdom. He says, from now on, you will be catching men. Do you see what is happening, congregation? Simon is afraid. As a sinner, he sees, he sees no option but, but to distance himself from the holiness of Jesus. But rather than, than withdrawing from Simon, Jesus, he, he invites Simon to, to come into his presence. He, Jesus invites Simon to join him, to be one of his disciples. This is your savior congregation. He offers sinners forgiveness, but, but more than that, He recruits us to go out and to gain other sinners. Rather than abandoning us, Jesus recruits us. And think of what Jesus' response to sinful Simon means for you, dear congregation. In the days and the years ahead, Simon is still going to fall. Simon's still going to sin. 
He, he, in fact, he falls radically short many, many times. It is Simon who will deny even knowing Jesus in order to, in order to save his own skin. It is Simon who, whom Paul is going to have to rebuke for essentially denying the gospel, for refusing to, to eat with the Gentiles. Simon remained weak, he remained sinful, and yet it is this Simon whom Jesus invites into his presence. In congregation, think of when Jesus calls Simon. It is not after his death. It is not after he suffers, but before. Jesus shows Simon this incredible mercy. Jesus calls Simon to be his disciple even before he has suffered on the cross to pay for his sins. So congregation, how much more confidence and assurance can we have in our Savior now? Now that his sacrifice has been accomplished, if Jesus has mercy on Simon, if Jesus does not abandon sinful Simon before knowing that he must still suffer and die on the cross to atone for Simon's sins. Congregation, if that's how much Jesus loved sinners before he died, what could possibly separate us from the love of Christ now that his sacrifice is complete? Absolutely nothing. We can know with absolute certainty that Jesus will receive every sinner who comes to him in faith and repentance. We can know with absolute certainty that we can, we can always go to God in prayer, even when we are overcome with shame and with sorrow because of our sins. In those times we feel least worthy to come to God, also then Jesus says, do not Fear. You may come into my presence because I have come for sinners like you. Now in the final few minutes, let us also look at Simon's response to God's, to Christ's grace in verse 11. It says in verse 11 that when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Simon left everything to follow Jesus. He left his boats. He left his nets. He left his co-workers. He left this miraculous catch of fish. And he went to follow Jesus. Rather than catching to kill, now Simon will cast, will cast the gospel net so that people will be made alive through the power of the Holy Spirit. And congregation, throughout his ministry, throughout his casting the gospel net to, to bring in men, I wonder how often Simon thought back to this miraculous catch of fish, to Jesus' incredible power displayed this day. You see, when, when we're fishing for men, sometimes a catch of fish, it seems impossible. Sometimes fishing, it, it, it is discouraging. We can fish at the best times, we can use the, the best techniques that we know and, and, and still catch nothing. Sometimes evangelism is discouraging. But remember, congregation, conversion lies not ultimately with us. It lies in the hands of the master fisherman, Jesus. 
Using our efforts, Jesus will catch every fish that belongs to him. Even when success seems as unlikely as Simon letting down his nets in midday. It is in that confidence, brothers and sisters, that we can go out those doors into the world and evangelize. Success belongs to the master fisherman. Finally, congregation, let us also stand in awe at the response of Simon and the other disciples, James and John. They leave everything to go follow Jesus. But don't stand in awe of them, brothers and sisters. Stand in awe of Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who works this radical faith and obedience in Simon, James, and John's hearts. You see, they had seen Jesus' power before. Simon had seen Jesus' power when his mother-in-law was healed. This previous exposure to Jesus' power, it makes, it makes Simon willing to, to risk a little for Jesus. He is, he is willing to, to let down the nets, even though they had toiled all night and caught nothing. And as Simon's boat is on the verge of sinking, the glory of Jesus, it breaks through into their hearts. Simon is, is captivated by Jesus. There's nothing he wants more than to follow this, this incredible man. He leaves everything to follow him. Congregation, is it your desire to be sanctified? Is it your desire to follow Jesus more faithfully, to have more radical obedience to your Savior? Then come, behold the glory of Christ. It is in the presence of Jesus that our hearts, that our minds are transformed. Come to Jesus. Yes, taste and see that the Lord is good. As you see the glory of the Lord, you will experience fear because you will see yourself as a sinner all the more clearly. But congregation, you will also see and experience Christ's incredible grace rather than rejecting you because of your sin, rather than departing from you because you are a sinful man, a sinful woman. Christ will embrace you. He will forgive you. So do not flee from Christ, even when you feel least worthy to approach him. You do not approach God because of your own worthiness. No, you approach because of the glorious grace of your Savior Jesus. Come to him. Fall down on your knees. Confess your sinfulness. And then experience the sweet, the undeserved forgiveness of your gracious your glorious and your approachable Savior. Amen.